Hello, and welcome to the 13th episode of Coffee and Cocktails. I'm your host, Dr. Ann Wand. On today's show, we'll be talking with Dr. Anna Marie Trester, founder of Career Linguist, and Dr. John Paulus, president of PhD Matters Limited. We'll be providing advice today for academics on how to network beyond academia. Thank you for joining us. Glad to be here. Great to be here, Anne. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. As per usual, we'll start off by having you tell us what drink you're having for the show, followed by a little bit about yourself. John, I am intrigued by what you are drinking. Could you please tell us what you are having? Well, I have eggnog. It is the season. It is the season. I don't know why I don't have eggnog. Could you tell us a bit about yourself? Uh, well, um, I'm uh, John Pauls. I'm a PhD uh, in uh, classics uh, from the University of Chicago. Um, I worked in um, humanities administration um, and um, also taught after my PhD. Um, and about two years ago, um, uh, we were in California. I was working at Berkeley uh, at the Townsend Center there. And um, I start, had started to add to my work there a lot of career development activities. And I saw the need for uh, just help, uh, professional help for PhDs. And so um, we made a plan to um, to start uh, PhD Matters. And um, we're based here in uh, Philadelphia um, for various reasons. If we get to discuss, we'll discuss. But um, uh, it's uh, um, been a great trip and uh, it's been, been fabulous. Fantastic. And Anna Marie, please tell us yeah. what captivating drink are you having at 7.30 a.m. this morning? Ooh, I'm having very strong coffee, but let me tell you, um, I make a very strong coffee that I put over ice and do a tiny splash of water, and I call it a Canadiano instead of an <laughs> Americano because it has way more ice and it's strong. And uh, maybe not seasonally appropriate, but I drink iced coffee all year round. That's okay. You live in California. The rules are different. We'll forget. I could do whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Could you tell us a bit about yourself? Well, it's funny because John and I sort of traded places when we met. I had just moved here to California from the East Coast of, uh, well, I was in Washington, D.C. for 15 years before I came out here. And like John, I was working at a university. I was at Georgetown and uh, my role was slightly different. I was running a master's program in sociolinguistics. And this was a program that had been created to help uh, students think about professional expression of their skills and training. I ran that for about six and a half years. And then it was a, you know, a There was a course that I taught as part of that where I had students do ethnographies. I'm, you know, trained in uh, anthropology, anthropological methods to, um, oh, I'm a linguist. I don't know if I said that. I don't know if you Uh, did. No, no. I say I'm a sociolinguist and storyteller usually when I'm asked to give my little soundbite. Anyways, I had my students do ethnographies. They said, why aren't you doing one of an organization of interest? And I started doing that ethnography and ended up being hired by them. So I worked in a think tank and I still work. I still consult uh, to them now, uh, five years later. But I moved out here in California to set up, um, well, make space for, you know, doing career linguist more full time. Fantastic. Well, um, I must say, thank you both. In fact, um, I don't even know if it's worth mentioning on the show, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, 
when you reached out to me, Anna Marie, I didn't know that we have two friends in common. What? And I was totally surprised, totally not related to networking. Um, but uh, we'll have to talk a little bit later because I have known one of them also for 15 years. Um, having grown up, uh, two of them I've known, one of them I've known since high school, a uh, guy by the name of Pear Hole, and another one by the name of Sam Headland, which we can definitely talk about later. But a uh, bit of a small world when you reached out to me. I thought, you know what? I did not expect that to happen. So anyway, we can always talk a bit after the show. Have a think about it. Uh, but anyway, let's move on to our list Everybody. of... Everybody. I know, I know. I'm very popular. Anyway, uh, let's move on to our questions and comments for the show. Uh, because one of the things that I think is really interesting, and it's something that <clears throat> I think is a bit of um, a fear, I would imagine, or at least I've seen, uh, amongst academics, there seems to be this sort of uh, misconceptions on, you know, what is networking and how do you how do you network and what does that look like? And John, I know you had mentioned that there seems to be a misconception that that networking needs to be sleazy or somehow it's inauthentic. And I was wondering if you could start us off by by telling us what are these misconceptions and how do you fix that? I think the main way to think about it, Anne, is that. People come into the, I think a lot of people come into the networking situation and they think that this is a transactional activity, okay? That this is some sort of transaction, some sort of, some sort of exchange, exchange in a, like an economic sense or a business sense or a job sense. And so they're approaching it um, from kind of the exact opposite of the way that I talk to people about approaching it and the way that we're trying to kind of change the humanities culture around what, what this is. For me, it's really simply community building. And if you think of it that way, if you approach it from the perspective of you're making a connection with someone, you're learning about them, they're learning about you, right? And you're, and you're building professional community, right? So something we do all the time personally, even the most introverted among us, um, if you realize this is simply a kind of professional version of that, um, rather than just the straight up personal version, then it becomes a lot easier because then you think, okay, well, this isn't this thing where I have to go, you know, I'm going to go and just ask this person for a job or, you know, or, or there's going to be some sort of like, you know, tit for tat or transact transactional nature, um, of the, um, there's a reciprocity that goes on and we could talk about that. And I'm sure Anna Marie has a lot to say about that as well. There's a reciprocity that goes on, but it's the same kind of reciprocity that you have with friends rather than a kind of reciprocity that you would have with a kind of at buy, buying a coffee at Starbucks or something sure. you know, where you're giving money for goods and, so, and someone's giving you something you want for something, you, want. you know, that, that, that instrument makes it a kind of instrumental eyes relationship, if you will. And that's really, the main thing to avoid. Well, and I would say, you know, um, even in the podcasting world, this is a sort of reciprocity. You know, you get to meet people, you get to network, you get to know about the mm -hmm. interesting things that people are doing. Yeah. And and it, it quite honestly sort of saves the sort of awkward embarrassment of, you know, uh, having to feel like you have to sort of put yourself out there in a crowd yeah. or on a stage, you know, you're in a safe studio and it's kind of nice that way. Um, but I was going to say, Anna Marie, do you have anything to add to that in terms of these misconceptions dealing with um, introverts, which I think quite a few academics yeah. would identify as being introverted? Well, I was <laughs> reading a book recently. Uh, I was actually heading to a networking event and I was listening to a book on Audible as I was driving there. 
Uh, Brian Grazer just wrote a book, Face to Face. He's a movie mm-hmm. producer guy. And he said the thing that I don't know why it took me so long <laughs> to think this, realize this. We are human beings. We get nervous. <laughs> we get scared. <laughs> So, you know, you get, you you meet a new person and you think, do they like me? Am I interesting? Mm -hmm. Am I like fun and attractive? And, you know, I think a lot of... You look beautiful, by the way. So don't worry. You look fantastic. Well, thank you. I I dressed up for the podcast. Um, But, you know, sometimes that anxiety that we feel, it's natural. It's, you know, and it's expected. And the other person probably is feeling it, too. And it was just this aha moment that I was, you know, I often, I live in the Bay Area now, so I was driving out. This is a, it's actually a really great networking event. They call it Ethno Breakfast. Uh, Anthropologists who, um, I think the node of this network is uh, their professor, J.E. Lueck. She, Jan, I guess she goes by Jan. She um, asks her former students to host every month a conversation at their place of work. So we get to meet a bunch of anthropologists and linguists come and uh, we get to hang out in their workplace and then they get to invite their colleagues. So we have this really great exchange every month where they learn about us. We learn about them. It's like perfect for, you know, this reciprocity, I would say, you know, I'm an interactional sociolinguist, so I'm always thinking about interaction. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, I drive out there and I'm often, you know, stressed and it's the traffic sometimes. But then I realize there is also this very natural anxiety about meeting a person. And that mm-hmm. helped me so much to just kind of look at that and honor that. And yeah. I walked into that room different this time. And the networking encounter was, you know, I didn't have to get over that initial hurdle. I, 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 I sort of got to the, to the connecting sooner. It was, it was a, it was an important thing to remember. Well, I think you bring up some, also some really good points. Um, Cause I know, and I don't want to jump around too much at the moment, but uh, John, you had said that, you know, when mm-hmm. you're, when you're meeting people, it's, you kind of have a system and we'll talk about that in a second about uh, like kind of like a speed dating tactic that you use. Uh, when it comes to helping people to kind of get out of their comfort zone, which I think is interesting because there is that sort of anxiety that comes with meeting people. It is kind of like kind of like being on a blind date in a, in a way because you don't know anything about the person that you're about to meet. Yeah. You want to know more about the person, but you don't want to come across a bit you know, too strong. <clears throat> what does that look like? Mm-hmm. But before we dive into the tactics, um, mm-hmm. how have each of you been able to use your ba- academic backgrounds as is in order to sort of um, pursue careers in uh, beyond academia or um, at least in the current, you know, professions that you have? Yeah. So I use linguistics to think about career. That is my um, focus of my research interest. And then, you know, that I've parlayed that into a a career for myself, (laughs) And, you know, I think networking, I was thinking about it this morning, networking really is my business model. I'm building community mm-hmm. uh, and helping people, you know, learn how to ask for things in community, share things. But also yeah. networking is really catalyzed by asking for things. Um, so 
that is kind of built in. That's, uh, you know, when I, I have like career camps, the idea is that it's a group because I want them to practice um, using, not using in a exact, not like transactional sense, you know, like John is saying, but um, maybe relying on and, you know, being relied on in turn. Right. Because you, um, in some of these camps, you actually talk about um, how to have an ask or you, there's a certain term that you use about, yeah. about what yeah. an ask, quote unquote, looks like. Could you tell us a bit about that? Yeah. Um, I, and I got that, uh, Adam Grant's excellent book, give and take. He spends a chapter talking about how, how to use these, um, in networking interactions. He has it. He's a professor at a business school. So this is actually a class day where everyone goes around the room and asks for something, but you, you want to ask for something that is small and it can be crazy, you know, like he talks about in his book, someone's like, I want to meet Michelle Obama. It might, it, those, those kind of asks are fantastic, right? When they're really specific mm-hmm. and something that someone can think about for like a minute or two. And, you know, it's not, please read my dissertation and give me all of the <laughs> suggestions that you have, you know, <laughs> it's like, could you help me think about my, you know, seven word catchphrase or, you know, something that someone can do. And it's actually, that's being helpful to them so that they can be helpful to you. People enjoy being helpful. They want to help you. So you want to give them something small and concrete and doable. And like, this is not the only time you're ever going to talk to this person. If you do it right, you start to build trust and you start to build a relationship and it, um, I think we do a disservice when we think about just putting all this pressure on this one yes. moment, right? <laughs> yeah. It's like it's like the Olympic event or something, you know, yeah. it's just to, to finally talk, you know, you're going to have to talk to hundreds of people, you know, um, there's no doubt about that. This is not a, uh, kind of, yeah, one and done thing. That's, that's a great point. Anne-Marie. Well, and I think, um, if we could, this idea of um, tactics on how to deal with the big hurdle. You know, I can remember actually speaking of of big ass. There was an individual sent me an email some months ago, and um, I think they were excited about the work that they had produced this this volume. Mm-hmm. And um, the person had written me asking if I would read the entire volume and mm-hmm. then produce a article about the volume. And my answer in my head was absolutely not because I have my own volume to write and a small child and I'm tired. But when you have people say, hey, I'm interested in your work, it makes you feel good. It makes you feel valued. But then it also, as you said, makes you want to be helpful because you think, well, that's a really nice thing. I didn't expect that this morning. And you can start to create a relationship there. So anyway, John, um, could you tell me Mm -hmm. to kind of add a bit more to that in terms of any tactics or advice you might have in terms of how to, how to begin the networking process? Um, I wanted to go back to something that relates to this, that, that I was thinking about um, when we, uh, when you first asked the question about what about your academic career? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, help it be, because I think this ties into it. Um, and it's the, the, uh, do not, I, I would, I don't look to places like the classroom or the library 
for any clues as to do any of this professionally. That's, those aren't the spaces. Um, I learned a lot about connecting with people in graduate school from running a lecture society because I had to make contact with the people that we wanted to invite or uh, vendors or whoever, you know, whoever we were dealing with. I had to make contact with them and, and you know, ask them, to, you know, following um, Anne-Marie's um, asking for something, you know, ask, invite them to, to come and talk. Um, and, uh, that, that's the, those kinds of finding those activities that are outside of the classroom, outside, even outside of the campus. That one was one that was, you know, for the most part on the campus, but, but looking for things outside the campus where you're connecting to people, um, and you're, you're, um, connecting to a community and that, uh, that, that I always say, you know, you're looking for your people. You're looking for who your people are, for, in this case, professionally, right? In the same way that you look for who, you pe who your people are personally. Um, and that is um, the, the best thing to do as you're going through graduate school. Um, don't try to, I mean, you know, and Anna Marie knows this, like I'm very much against the idea that, that there's a translatability thing that we can do, like transfer, translate this skill to that. Translate. I'm a big experience person. If you have experience doing something, then you have the, then you could continue to do it or do it at a different level or do it as a different type of job. But, but experience is the key. And the same thing is true with networking. Um, when, when you're in grad school, make a point of doing something beyond the classroom, beyond the library, um, in this regard. And it, and it has to be connected to your interests and use everything that you do that are connected to your interests beyond the program. Um, to practice. Um, and that'll give you a sense of like, okay, I know how to talk to people. I know how to connect with people. I know how to build this community that Anna Marie and I are talking about. Right. So, and then that'll give you a lot of confidence when, when you, when you, um, start to shift that slightly and you get a little kind of focus in terms of what, um, what, uh, professional work you're, you're interested in doing. And then you can understand how, how this grows organically out of that. Absolutely. Um, Anna Marie, do you have anything to add? Well, what I was <clears throat> picturing when John was talking just now was um, sometimes I give the advice to come into a networking event prepared to share something that you are excited about. And uh, <laughs> it just happened. That's I nice. organized a networking event yesterday, actually. Well, two days ago. It doesn't matter. <laughs> and uh, one of the students had taken my advice. Um, he was He wanted to talk. I, I said to them, talk about something that you are excited about because you light up right in that moment. And then mm -hmm. you're giving someone something to respond to. And it was so hysterical. This um, young man talked about his sister and the work that she does. And it turned out the person he was talking to had done a postdoc with his sister in New Zealand. <laughs> this networking event happened in Seattle. <laughs> so it was like... I don't know if cursing is allowed on your podcast, but it was like my mom's listening. Kidding? Let's just put it that way. But yes, go on. So it was this moment of like, are you kidding me? You know, you know, uh, so-and-so who's, you know, and it was just was this moment. And I told both of them like that, those are the moments that I live for. Like those moments of like the world feels smaller. Those two are going to be connected for life. Right. Like it's, 
mm-hmm. he feels they feel a kinship. And I think <clears throat> networking is just revealing those connections that are already we're already in community. We're already in connection. So I think of it as like a game where you kind of are trying to find we are connected already. How? How? Well, and it turns out you and I are connected through a friend from high school, unbeknownst to you. Exactly. So. Right. Yeah. Sorry, John, go on. No, I'm sorry. I was just thinking about how I was just thinking about what Anna Marie is saying, because like the language, notice how the language she's using um, of kinship and so forth is very much that of the networking event with anthropologists that she was go that she was just at. Right. At that, that kinship relationship. So try to be try to be conscious when you're uh, as a grad student or, or you post PhD or try to be conscious of the shifts in communication that happen in various contexts and understand and then Anna Marie is a master at this so she's able to switch into the vocabularies of the various communities that she connects with very easily and seamlessly and without even probably consciously thinking about it I won't speak for you Anna Marie but I it, it, you know it's, it seems natural or at least to, to someone listening, it, it appears yeah. like a natural thing. Um, and that that kind of thing is to be uh, something to be aware of as well, because otherwise that disconnect of the let me talk about my dissertation to somebody who works in the financial services industry. And my dis- you know, and, and like and I'm not a you know, I'm not a Ph.D. in, in, in you know, some some uh, financial <laughs> field or something, you know, and, <laughs> and let me t- let me talk about, you know, and it's and it's like seeing those disconnects is kind of. Uh, is critical to to understand your audience and to be able to like communicate in that language, you know? Sure, sure, absolutely. So um, I know we're already kind of talking about this, but I guess what I want you to have in mind, and I know I say this because I've I've seen students of this, is is the the nervous student, the anxious student, the student who is absolutely terrified of saying the wrong thing, not even at the wrong time, just saying the wrong thing, end of. What mm-hmm. advice would you have for that person who just wants so badly to do a good job, but is too almost kind of psych themselves out of trying to make an effort? I have three things. Okay. <laughs> First of all, you can make a mistake. We are human beings and you're going to make a mistake. I taught improv for 10 years in Washington, D.C., and the, all those 10 years came down to one thing, like, we're going to make mistakes and that's okay. Uh, that may end up being the thing that connects you to that person is to just say, I am so sorry. I don't know how I got started down this line of talking about my, you know. The, the, my divorce, you know. my <laughs> lost custody of my kids. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Let me take a breath. I'm nervous, right? Like, <laughs> Just yeah. be a human. Be human. And I think the other piece, number two, would be remember that that person is a human, right? Um, don't, at, they say, you know, the advice is like, don't ask for a job. Don't, you know, be transactional. But really behind that is that that makes that person not feel seen. You know, yeah, if you go up to somebody and you're just like demanding something right away, that's not how humans... <laughs> it's not how you human. So <laughs> remember, remember that that person is a person, and um, maybe you know that helps you look for something to. And I guess a third thing is, you know, the task is not to please them. Um, I think we get, you know, you're doing something new and you're trying to do it right, and you're you're looking to them to see, like, am I doing this right? Am I? But. You know, it's not about pleasing them. It's it's trying to find something that you 
um, can connect about. Mm. So um, trying to find common ground or you're trying to find, you know, and a good way to do that is to come prepared with, like I say, something just a little, I call them pocket examples, just like a little thing that you can just pull out of your pocket. You know, I was reading this article yesterday and the thing that I enjoyed about it was blah. No, I think that's excellent. Um, and John, what about for you? Um, I want to take what Anna Marie said and take it one step further. The person that you're talking to, not only are they as human as you are, they also are not, you know, some kind of professional networking guru. You know, 99% of the people are bad at, bad at this as well. Do you know what I mean? So a lot of times I feel like there's this kind of um, student teacher relationship where like um, students approach it as like, I'm going up to a teacher um, and I'm this, this person is like just my new model for a teacher. Yeah. Just they're in a different industry yeah. or whatever, but I'm going to treat this in that kind of hierarchical way that really messes things up. Um, yeah. But realize that, that the person you're talking to, they're, they're not an expert either. They may have had more practice at it, but there are really, really very few people in this world who are truly, truly masters of this, you know. Um, and so uh, understand, understand that, that this situation isn't one where they have all the answers. They know everything to do. They're so calm and slick and awesome when, they come, when it comes to talking. <laughs> you know, they're people who are having, they have the same thought. They want to make a good impression on you as well. You know, they're looking, they don't want you to think bad things about them. Well, uh, so once you, as Anna Marie was saying, that once you humanize it in a, a deep way, then all of a sudden you say, okay, well, I can do, I can do this. Well, I, I think as well, I think something that I feel like people forget is that when you're talking to somebody, you're interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you. Um, right. You know, and I can think, and I won't name names as tempting as it is, uh, of, of an individual uh, who shall remain unnamed for now. <laughs> anyway, and this give it a couple more minutes. We're yeah, if I had something alcohol, I could probably come out quite quickly. Anyway, this individual, uh, I at the time I was a, a new student, and uh, I wanted to impress this person, and we had a connection in common, a couple, quite a few, in fact. Uh, in fact, I know that this person really hated my former supervisor, so I was trying to make sure not to mention him in discussions. Anyway, uh, I introduced myself, and the person was not very nice. And I remember feeling really, really gutted, like a punch to the gut. And then I talked with uh, some colleagues sometime later, and you know, as unpleasant as that was, at the end of the day, that person wasn't doing themselves any services because at some point, my reputation was going to excel in its own way. And if that individual found out about it, whatever, you just never know. I already yeah. know instinctively my answer would be thank you, but no thank you. And and they could be completely unaware of that. And that doesn't really matter. But the point is, is like you said, that person is setting an example for themselves. And it's a two-way thing. So I think that that's a really a really good thing that you guys have mentioned and something definitely to keep in mind. So, yeah. I sort of picture it as like a fabric, right? Like you're doing like a little stitch over here and you're doing a little, you know, um, I don't know, maybe it's a quilt. I need to work on this metaphor a little <laughs> bit. But I mean, it's, it's a million little things that you're doing. But, you know, life is long and... <laughs> 
20 years later, you know, that person who was your intern may be a CEO, you know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I was going to say, yeah, go on. Well, students, you know, our students become professors, you know, it's, it's the, the, the way that you were talking about, you know, just, um, those interactional moments, they, they can be small, but they can be huge. If somebody stomps on you, that's something you're never going to forget. Yeah. And this person was really short. So that says something. So (laughs) take from it what you want. Um, Speaking about your companies, uh, could you briefly explain how your organizations work in order to benefit your clients? John. Let me start out. Um, so we're a soup to nuts operation. So we do everything from individual consulting um, with folks thinking about the next step in their careers um, to workshops on campuses and with learned societies and organizations. Um, and those are the big networking workshops. And we can talk about that more uh, later. Um, and the uh, third thing is working with, uh, to create jobs really, to, to come up with roles at companies and organizations um, that um, are uh, a great fit for individual PhDs in the humanities, social sciences, and even sciences as well. Um, and that's the kind of, so the idea here is to, is to create jobs, to change the job landscape for PhDs in the human arts and humanities. Okay. And uh, Anna Marie. Yeah, John is so good at talking about. I'd say you both are very good at talking. He's a master. Uh, So I would say I am also trying to create, um, you know, jobs for, uh, in my case, I I am looking to help linguists uh, create opportunities for other linguists. So one of the things that I'm doing in partnership with employers these days is to organize networking events where an employer can be there and ideally, a few employees from an organization. This one in Seattle, I had uh, three people who worked at the organization. So people at this networking event could talk to somebody who actually works at an organization that is hiring to say, you know, what is it like day to day? and What do you enjoy about your job? And um, the recruiter that was there, she was so helpful. She was telling us about kind of the little things that can make her you know, shut down uh, about a candidate, you know, somebody who mentions something that is, you know, I'm an expert in phonology, but you never give an example. Or, <laughs> or phenomenology. I always liked when people threw that around. I'm like, or ontology. I'm like, you have no idea what that means. Anyway, go on. <laughs> so see, I'm supposed to be talking about myself. Um, I uh, also do, uh, like I was talking about earlier, um, various ways that I work with linguists to help them think about, you know, coming forward with their skills and training to uh, organizations or people that might, you know, want to collaborate with them. Um, and then I guess a third piece of my business these days is I, um, I consult two organizations. And uh, one of the things I'm really excited about these days is uh, narrative inquiry. And it's where you go into an organization and you, uh, ideally are asked to be an ethnographer for a period of time and you're in their organization listening to the stories that people are telling one another and helping the organization learn to pay attention to these stories, learn how these stories mean, right? And what they can tell you about 
organizational culture, usually this is tied to a specific initiative within an organization, like a an inclusion initiative, maybe. Mm-hmm. And you hear these stories and you can start to learn, they start to learn how these stories tell them, are we living up to this ideal of inclusion? You know, and here's 10 stories where somebody felt excluded. And then we take responsibility. How do we take responsibility for changing this. The The model has people creating the own, their own um, solutions to the, the problems that stories eliminate. Fantastic. Um, I know this is a bit of a jump, but I'm going to jump anyway. Since we're on to you, Anna Marie, you yeah. talk about the importance of what you call adopting a practice when it comes yeah. to networking John, you will be next, but Anna Marie, since <laughs> you're on the spot, could you tell us yeah. what that means and what that looks like? So I call it an hour a week on LinkedIn. That is a place to start. Not on Facebook. Not- I can't go on Facebook. I can't go on Twitter. Start with LinkedIn. With LinkedIn. <laughs> start with LinkedIn. Tell yourself you're going to spend an hour a week. And actually, if you want to spend that in 10 minute increments every day, I would love it because... I think it can be something of a meditative practice. Uh, Spend that time thinking about generosity. (laughs) Spend that time thinking, at least part of that time, how can I help somebody else? How can Mm -hmm. I share? You know, people are on LinkedIn saying, help me get the word out about this event. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, please share this research that I just published. Um, When you adopt that generosity mindset, First of all, it helps you if you're nervous. <laughs> it helps you get out of that, will I ever get a job? That energy is not great energy to bring to other <laughs> people. You know, it's understandable where this is, it is existentially unsettling. You know, we need to have jobs. We need to survive. Um, but I think this practice can help us work through some of the anxiety and like I say, place it into your own channel, your own generous instincts. It makes you feel better. It helps other people. Right. And uh, when you build your community, you in turn build yourself. So that's my, all right. So what are you doing during that hour? You're researching, um, you're connecting, you're, you're looking for people that you know, ideally people that you know in real life, people that you've um, had classes with, your, your cohort, uh, people you worked with, people you babysat for. You know, these kinds of things, This I just, mm-hmm. I'm in my 40s. I just reached out to someone who I babysat for when I was 13. She plugged me in with a real estate agent, you know, <laughs> yep. that. Wow, that's fantastic! Can you can you put me in contact with her? We could we could use a house, <laughs> nice big house. That would be great. All right, all right, for free. That would be preferable. But. Oh yeah, yeah, nice. Then John, what about you? What advice? Um, not so much advice, but I guess kind of adding to this thing about well, yeah, I guess it would be advice about adopting a practice. Do you have any any tips or any rituals that you do? I there's something that I. Do I try each day? And it's, it's just following up, really. Anna Marie is saying everything that every people need to do. So first of all, let me just say, just if you're have more eggnog. Just let her talk. Just you just do, <laughs> <laughs> right. Just do what Anna Marie is saying because that is exactly <laughs> exactly what I recommend. Um, 
the thing I try to do is do something in addition to the LinkedIn thing, do something in person every day that makes someone's day. That's a good practice and not just oh. karmically, um, but it gets you into exactly that spirit that Anna Marie was talking about. Um, and it, um, it really changes both how a person feels. Um, and it also changes, changes how, how you, you feel. Um, and that really can get you out of that, um, anxiety, you know, feeling, uh, when you're, uh, either grad student or early career PhD and you're like, man, when am I, boy, when's this job going to happen? Or, you know, um, that's, that's, that's a, that's a thing to do. That's a practice. Hmm. Um, that, um, and, and those are the kinds of practices that I specialize in, in, in the ones that are a little bit more spiritual, let's call them. Um, because the, that's a really important part of taking care of yourself, um, and others as well. Um, uh, and that, that's really going to make a big difference for you in terms of your outlook. And then all of a sudden you approach every situation with that generosity, which means that more things, um, uh, start to happen you know, amazingly, right? Amazingly, all these things start to happen because you're putting that generosity into the world and, 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 and that really does a lot. That really does an amazing I, amount. I think that is excellent advice. In fact, this is going to sound really silly, but since we're on the topic of paying it forward, Love so it. I, um, I, I took a master's class and I'm just going to say it because it's fantastic by uh, Neil Gaiman. And it mm-hmm. talks about um, how basically the, the art of storytelling uh-huh. Um, and I recommend, I recommend it to everyone. And I liked it so much that I actually quoted him a bit in, um, the introduction to the book I'm working on, mm-hmm. which is an anthropology book, but it talks about anthropologists being storytellers and, and not apologizing for the fact that ethnographers, we want to be engaging. We don't want to be dry. We don't want to, you know, put people off from wanting to read what we're doing. Cause we think what we have to say is, is interesting. And we want to make it interesting. Anyway, long story short, um, I opened up a Twitter account. I thought, well, let's, let's see how this Twitter thing works. I mean, I know Neil Gaiman's on here. He's, he's a popular guy. And I <laughs> thanked him on Twitter. And within seconds, yep. he thanked me back and then uh, forwarded my message. And I thought, I just made Neil Gaiman's morning along with a bazillion other people. But it made me feel good. And, yeah. you know... I got a couple other followers, which is great. But the whole point is it's nice that you can connect with other people and be reminded of the fact that people are people. And I think that that's yes. really cool, in my opinion. I love Absolutely. it. Yeah. And this is, this is I, always, I always find this is the case exactly what you're saying, where when you, when you, um, do, when you, when you sh- give a shout out to somebody like that, um, the, the kind of people who you most want to have in your community um, are the ones like Neil Gaiman who immediately just like within seconds are like, Oh my God, that's awesome. You know, um, it's, it's almost a rule. I, I don't know if Adam Reese sees this on LinkedIn as well, but if like I, if I, if I give a shout out to somebody, um, just totally unexpectedly, the people who I see as, uh, you know, it's a kind of way of seeing who resonates with you because those people who do resonate with you will respond immediately. The ones who don't resonate so much, they tend to not sometimes never respond. Sometimes respond like weeks later, months later, or not even at all. Mm. So like it's a, it's a kind of interesting test as well to see who you resonate with and who resonates with you. Um, and that's, that's really critical too in this community building process, because that's going to be important um, as the, as time goes on, right? Because um, you're not going to resonate with everybody that you talk to. Um, you know, like you, you mentioned in that situation where you're talking to that person, obviously that didn't work out well. But that's okay, right? Because 
you know, it's, you know, there are 70 other people who things do work out well with and about five to four to five others who really, really work out well, because there's going to be a core group of people who are really your allies in this, who are really, you're on the same page and you're, you're, that it's working out. So in a way, thinking about that kind of individual contact as a, as a way to also, um, after it happens, feel out what your relationship with the person is, is really important, even if it's Neil Gaiman. Absolutely. Amory? Can I just add Neil Gaiman with his partner, Amanda Palmer's book? Yes, yes. The art, is it The Art of the Ask? Is it The Art the, of the Ask? I don't know. You'd have to tell us. The biggest, the biggest thing that I ever did to build my community was go out and do a, uh, it wasn't Kickstarter, it was... Another one that I can't think of the name of right now. Oh my god! Go fund me, uh, or uh, I will find the information. You'll put think it about in it. A link. Couple hours yeah. from now, yeah, it'll come. Second, I hang up. Um, but I asked my community for ten thousand dollars to self-publish uh, my book, Bringing Linguistics to Work. I didn't know it at the time. My friend sent me Amanda Palmer's book uh, because she had done a crowdsource campaign, and that book had helped her. Um, deal with that vulnerability that was hugely vulnerable to ask. Uh, a lot of imposter syndrome there. Um, but that ask reverberated. It got me to England to give a workshop. And this it is got, through Amanda Palmer or? It's her book inspired me or supported me to ask. Uh, she writes a book where it's just talking about how important it is to ask for things. So I asked, I asked my community for uh, the means to be able to self-publish a book. But then I wasn't thinking about it at the time, but when you ask thousands of people to help you create a book, then those thousands of people are invested in the success of that book. Like that was probably the thing that got me to the next level um, mm -hmm. professionally, got me to, you know, um, start traveling more to give my workshop about the book. Well, and if you don't ask, you don't get. I think that's really what it boils down to. In fact, um, one thing I think it's important to, to talk about before we start to wrap up is how to avoid bad networking practices. What are yeah. those? Aside yeah. from, can you please read everything I've ever written and then write a paper by tomorrow? You know, that, that sort of thing. Yeah. The classic is, you know, um, I need a job showing up for an informational interview and then all of a sudden, mm -hmm. you know, putting that person in the horrible predicament of having to, I mean, it just kills the vibe. It's not, it's not generous. It's don't do that to Quite people. awkward, I think. And, you know, people maybe hear that informational interviews can lead to a job, but if that happens, it's going to come organically from that person saying, <laughs> You know, I hadn't thought about it, but, you know, we actually need somebody to do this small mm -hmm, bit of, yeah. you know, could you, you know, perhaps work with us on this project and who knows, or, you know, um, so don't ask for a job. Um, I, I think that's true in a networking event at an informational interview. I mean, at a job interview. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't say you're desperate. We all know. That's why you're there. <laughs> The right. dead giveaway. Yeah. But I think it even starts when you send an email to somebody asking them to, um, asking them for a coffee, you know, um, 
give that person an out. You don't know, you know, I worked for an organization for many years that when we were actively hiring, we couldn't give informational interviews. And I'm out there telling the world, ask for informational interviews. And then people would ask me for an informational interview. I had to say no. And I didn't necessarily want to be like, it's because our organization has a policy that blah, blah, blah. You know, you, you, I didn't want to throw them under the bus. And at the same time, the student or person who was reaching out to me could have looked at our website where it says we can't give in the interest of equity. We don't give informational interviews when we are actively hiring. So um, give a person when you're reaching out to them, give them an out. Say if for whatever reason, you know, you're not able to talk today or, you know, I understand that that little that signals to me that this person is thinking about me. It's a little thing that goes a very long way. Absolutely. John, thoughts? Yeah, I like that idea. Just you know, let the person know that they're thinking about you. That every, doing, thing with, doing everything with that kind of generosity is great. And also, if you send an email to Anna Marie and she works for a company that can't, um, I mean, it's very rare, as Anna Marie knows, but it, there are occasional situations where people really can't talk about what they do, um, although people even break those rules. Um, but nonetheless, um, uh, uh, you know, don't, don't, don't hold it, don't hold it against them. I think in a way, like people, something, you know, you're, you're already in a very anxiety prone situation so that when, when, when like, you know, Anna Marie has to say, no, I can't actually meet your life, you know, you get really upset at that situation. Understand that people, all people have their reasons and, and don't, you know, don't, don't take every, um, small interaction like that as a big, as a big, um, kind of, uh, uh, blanket statement about the person or the world, you know, you, you really need to have a much closer relationship with a person to really understand if that, what that person's about. Um, but bad networking always looks like a one-sided transaction. Um, uh, and you just make it so that you're not on the one side of that. Uh, that that's that's a key thing that I a thing I live every day is that I if if I promise something someone who's asked for it you know um, I I do it um, because I know how it feels to ask for something and the person can't do it or doesn't do it or says they're going to do it and you know um, always make it a rule to you know and sometimes that means yeah sometimes you'll do something and uh, in fact a lot of times you'll do something and absolutely nothing will come out of it. We're talking about a lot of the success stories in a sense of, of reaching out. But for each one of those wonderful success stories, there are many, many, many stories where, you know, it didn't work out or oops, that's not what I expected was going to happen. Or, yeah, that person really didn't care after all or, or uh, you know, or I didn't care after all. Right. Like there was there's there's lots of, you know, there's allowed this to have lots of room for complexity um, so that but but just keep yourself to that rule, I think that that you're, you're holding true to your promises, that you're holding true to your generosity. Um, because I think that, that at least you can end the day by saying, well, I kept up with everything I said I was going to do. And that's an important, that's an important thing. I can't do the, do stuff for like other, I can't do other people's stuff for them. Um, mm. and I can, I can do what I do. Um, but that's all I can control in this situation. And then, um, then use that to learn, you know, uh, I mean, that's, that's a, that's a person that you may not, you may not really have contact with anymore. If you say, well, you know, this is, you know, you're not going to tell them that, but like it didn't work out. Right. Mm. So understand, understand that 
that it's uh, the, the complexity of it and that one-sidedness, lack of reciprocity, lack of lack of kind of will, goodwill towards one another, even if the reciproc- reciprocity doesn't happen immediately. Again, it's, as I said, it's not a transactional thing. Um, understand that, that, that that's what the bad, that's what the bad networking situations look about, look like. Yeah. Anna Marie. Well, and to put a little, John, you've said it, um, in a few different ways, but just to put some numbers on this, I am after all a qualitative and a quantitative Yay. researcher. I, uh, in um, Designing Your Life, the, the book by Stanford mm-hmm. Design School professors, mm-hmm. um, yeah. they talk about, they give a number, and I think this number is actually quite helpful. Mm-hmm. Think about for 25 conversations that you have, maybe one will lead yes. to an opportunity or a connection. Yes. And if you go in with that mindset, you know, 24 of them are going to be like you say, John, you know, missed connection mm-hmm. or just timing isn't right or you know, but if you're expecting that you're going to have a hundred conversations, um, some stuff will turn up for you and you'll turn up stuff for other people. Reed Hoffman, the creator of LinkedIn right. talks about this as stirring the pot. And he means that in a positive way that you're, when you're looking for opportunities for yourself, you unearth opportunities for, you create opportunities for other people too. And that's the way it should be. That's, I think that's really good advice on both parts. In fact, John, yeah. you had said that when networking is done well, it's always a kind of friendship, yeah. which I think ties into our last point about the importance of building trust. How, and I know it's a big question, um, kind of like what's the meaning of life, but how do you build trust when you're introducing yourself to people you, you don't know? Anna, you want to start? Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's in, you know, that, in that, that little, I was saying that, that looking for ways to help that person be generous to you. You can think of it as like, um, you know, it's in the making your ask quite small. It's in the giving them an out if they aren't able to, to give you an informational interview at that moment. It's in, you know, trying to find something that you can give that person. Um, uh, I've read somebody compare it to like networking to um, when you, <laughs> if you do this, stop and ask for directions when you're driving, you know, embody that. Like that person wants to help you so much that sometimes they give you bad directions. But like that illustrates the human instinct to want to help you. And that builds trust. You know, actually giving someone an opportunity to be generous builds trust. Absolutely. And it's a, it's a hundred of those interactions over years that, you know, when you, when you say, I don't have time for networking, I need a job. That's demonstrating mm-hmm. a lack of trust. Yeah. I think that that's a good point. Um, John, do you have any final comments? On trust? Yeah. I'm the kind of person I go into the situation always. I and mean, this is, I, I just go into the situation, situation with openness, genuineness. Um, I, I'm, I'm really bad at not being myself. And I think that shows people that I'm sincere about what I'm doing, what I'm talking about, the work that I'm doing. And to me, the only way to build trust is to be trustworthy. You know, mm. know what you do, why you're doing it. And I always lead with that. Trust is something you, uh, real trust is something you have to work out with something, someone you can't, you can't do that in like a quick uh, networking situation, uh, so to speak. But I, I put myself out there expecting that I can trust a person and see if that a professional relationship can work. And we go from there. And I know that, and, and as I said before, I know that I'm going to hold up my end of the bargain. Uh, and that's a powerful thing. Absolutely. 
Well, that's it from us at Coffee and Cocktails with your host, Dr. Ann Wand. I'd like to thank Dr. Anna Marie Trester and Dr. John Paulus for joining us at the studio this afternoon. For those of you who've enjoyed the show, please feel free to explore our Facebook page at Coffee and Cocktails One, as well as our blog, coffeeandcocktails1.wordpress.com, and on Twitter at Cafe and Cocktails, where you can learn more about upcoming episodes. Otherwise, that's it for now. Thanks for listening and have a great week.